Uh, you guys, my name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point Church. We are a part of a ministry. It's a global ministry here. And it's called Every Nation. And some of you are new to that. Some of you, this is your first time. Some of you have been coming to High Point for some time. And this is the taste that you've got, right? But we're a part of something that is global, that's large. And yet, it's also very local, our church is right here in the, in the, in the great uh, city of Kennesaw, reaching Ackworth and Kennesaw and Marietta. And we have uh, global needs that we're praying for, right? That we're stepping in the gap for and, and going forward. We also have some local needs, right? And we've prayed a few times already today. We're going to start off the sermon by praying as well. You might be looking around and saying, there's a lot less chairs in here today. There's a lot less people in here today, Right? Uh, that is because one of the local needs that we have in this moment is, for some rhyme or reason, sickness has just been moving through the, the church and through schools um, and just kind of making a wreckage of things. And so uh, when you read the Bible, you see Jesus hearing, he's healing sick people and he's, he's healing paralyzed people and blind people. But you know what else he does? He heals Peter's mom in the Bible and she has a fever. She's got a fever. So we see Jesus moving in what feels like really big situations and also normative situations like fevers and sickness and colds and difficult things. So we're going to start the sermon off today by praying for God's healing power. And here's, here's what I want you to hear today. Sometimes it's in these moments in a church where it's not all the glitz and glamour moment. Like it's a smaller moment today, Right. Um, yet God consistently moves in ways that defy my normative human expectations, right? In other words, it's the Sunday where you're like, where is everybody? Is God even here? You know, what's going on? What happened to the worship team? You know, blah, blah, blah. And yet many times in scripture, God uses those moments, right? To shame the wise, and so I actually am coming into this moment in this sermon today with great expectation that God would, in fact, as we have been singing about, bring you to life, to greater life, that you would come alive. Father, be with us. Lord, not only as we sit here today and hear the sermon and we ask that you would speak to us, but I also pray, Lord, for those, so many today, half the room, God, that is out with, with different illnesses or sicknesses, God, that you would bring a healing grace, Lord, to not only our school systems, but to our very specific church here. Lord, we pray for your healing power. God, literally, as people are sitting in homes today or in beds today or on the couch today, Lord, I pray for your healing power to come. I pray for it for this room as well. Amen. Amen. Can everybody say amen? Let's agree together, right? God's good. He's good and he's faithful. This past Tuesday, I woke up at 3 a.m. Now, that is early even for me. I am an early bird. I like to get up early, but 3 a.m. is a different level. But 3 a.m. hit, and I popped out of bed, not because, not because my alarm went off, but because something woke me up. 
3 a.m., it's pitch black. We've got the, you know, the blackout curtains in the room. My room is dark, right? We also have, Amy and I have a, a box fan for white noise because uh, we sleep with a little background noise uh, because it's soothing, it's nice, and also because we're not psychos. Like some people are who sleep with no noise of any kind. Did I say that? Yes, I did. You're borderline psychopath for not having any sound. Who can just go to bed and it's just dead quiet? Not me. Not me, ladies and gentlemen. I've got my box fan turned up to level three, right? Which is like the sound of a, of a tornado basically coming through the room. So for something to wake me up in the middle of the night, it's loud. And what do you do when you're trying, when you wake up and you're, 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 you're listening for something, what, what do you do? You, you, you get really quiet and you listen for any sound that is not normal. Like, is there somebody in this room? Did a kid come into my room and wake me up? Is that what's going on? I got four kids in case you didn't know. And, and, and did one of my children come in here and there, you know, like right next to me? You know how it is. Like you wake up and, ah, right? Because there's a kid who's staring right in your face, right? That happens. That is real life, okay? That was not the case. And I'm debating, do I wake Amy up? Maybe I dreamt this. But before I, I, I lasted five seconds, the flashlight comes on on her phone next to me. And she's scanning the room. Which means I am not crazy. I did, in fact, hear something because it woke her up, too. She takes the flashlight and scans over where the dog is sleeping in the corner, who's absolute nothing but dead weight in the corner of the room, sleeping through everything, a useless dog in this moment. But I heard what sure sounded like a howl, like a low, deep howl. And I would have bet every penny in my bank account that that was coming, not from outside, from inside my house. So, of course, my dog's asleep, <laughs> dead asleep. And I'm like, all right, now I've got to go. I've got to, like, sneak through my house, make sure the kids are okay. I go, you know, and I, you know, open the door, right? It's pitch black, and you begin working your way through the hallway. You know, like, is my breath going to be icy? Like, I see dead people. You know, is, is there going to be fog rolling down the hallway? Do I have to battle some kind of demonic presence in my home? I'm here for it. I'll do it, okay? But my kids are at the end of the hallway. I check out them. They're all fine. And now I've got to go downstairs. And I'm thinking to myself, one of my kids somehow left a front or back door ajar. And a dog has come into my house and is in my living room. This is what I'm imagining and thinking. So I'm I'm doing everything I can to be quiet. And of course, the more quiet you try to get, the more you, you become sensitive to like your own breathing. And you're like, why am I breathing so loud? I'm going to die, right? My neighbor could hear me breathing right now. Like, <sighs> guess what? I found absolutely nothing. I had to go back upstairs. Couldn't even report the news to my wife, who was awake as well. And well, the next day we found out. True story. There is an owl. An owl, might I add, that has been making its way 
from home to home in our neighborhood, but it's a special kind of owl. I can't even remember its breed, but the hoot that it delivers does not sound like an owl. It sounds like the howl of a wild animal. And it's literally called the witch's cackle because people hear it and they think there's a wild dog right outside or inside my house. And that is exactly what was going on. So you guys can have a great Sunday, right? Beware of the witch's cackle hooting owl that might haunt you in your dreams, right? Just kidding, but let's be honest with you. I know we're light today, but the truth of the matter is, some of you like a good spooky movie, do you not? Raise your hand if you're a scary movie kind of person. Most people, I am, I love a good jump scare, right? I love that little tingle where you're like, ooh, you know something is getting ready to happen, right? I love it all. I love the feeling of it. My kids hate it. Every single one of them, they despise it. But the truth of the matter is this, while we love, many people love a good little frightening, blood tingling moment, you do not need Hollywood Horror Nights at Universal Studios or Six Flags or The Exorcist or a good jump scare, right, to really confront some horrors that truly exist and are in front of us many times. And in the same way that I woke up and thought, oh my gosh, something is inside my house. Jesus has a way of of helping us look at ourselves and look in the mirror, so to speak, and discover some truly horrid at times things. In fact, Proverbs 4.23 in the scripture says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do. It flows from your heart. Meaning everything that's good that you experience, it's coming from your heart or somebody else's heart. But that also means the opposite is true, that there are things that you are encountering and experiencing that are not good. And where does that come from? It comes from your heart heart. If you want to have healthy relationships, if you want to have a healthy relationship with God, if you want to grow in God, if if you want to experience wholeness instead of brokenness and peace instead of dysfunction and anxiety, then we've got to have a real conversation about what's happening in our hearts. So turn to Mark chapter 7. We're going to read this entire encounter today. Matthew, Mark. Mark is the second gospel. It's in the New Testament. You can, you can go there on your phone if you've downloaded the YouVersion Bible app. You can also uh, flip there. In a, if you've got a paper Bible, go for it to do this. Mark chapter 7, 1 through 8. The Pharisees... And some of the teachers of the law who'd come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That is, they're unwashed. The Pharisees, verse 3, and all the Jews, they don't eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. 
And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human tradition. We're going to get to the latter half of that in just a second. I know that was a lot to read, but it's a story, so hopefully you're able to track with it a, a bit in this moment. You've got Jesus who's engaging in ministry and you have the teachers of the law and you have the Pharisees who are like, whoa, 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 whoa. How come your disciples are not following the tradition and the rules, the, 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 the men who've gone before us, who've established these, these, these laws and these traditions, these are important and you're not abiding by any of these things. What's the deal? And not only is it what's the deal, the insinuation is that something is deeply wrong. Now, our church has, you know, we have more or less, we've been in this facility now. We've been a portable church for a few months now here at Kennesaw Elementary School. We just got on campus. We've been on KSU for a few weeks now as we're looking to launch um, our campus ministry, and I'm having really fun conversations with folks. If, you, if you're familiar with the movie God's Not Dead or the book God's Not Dead, my pastor that I worked with in Nashville, he wrote that book, God's Not Dead. And try to, if you can, separate the films from the movie, although they do go a little bit hand in hand. But the book itself is a book on apologetics, on, on why we can have reason to believe that God exists. In other words, you don't need to check your brain at the door in order to have faith. And there are really great reasons to believe. And I have to tell you that being out on campus, one of the things that we're doing at our table is we, we have little games, we have fun moment, we're engaging with students. And sometimes we, we do what's called the God Test, which is an app that we've built and made. And it's literally just 10 questions to begin conversations with students about things that really matter, like God and faith and, and who God is and can I have a relationship with him. And while there are some that have said, I don't believe in God, that definitely has existed. The vast majority of students believe that God exists. In fact, the majority of the world, over 70% of the world believes in the existence of God. 70. That's a big number. People believe that he exists yet many times have no idea how to actually know him and have real relationship with him. And sometimes they desire that, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're interested in taking that conversation on campus a little bit further, sometimes they're not. But the reality is this, I believe that God is real, 
So then how do I actually know him? How do you know him? How do you have relationship with him? And what oftentimes happens, church, is we build in rules and we build in traditions because we believe that if we can uphold X, Y, Z and 1, 2, 3 and A, B, C, that those things constitute a relationship with God. If I can just do this, 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 this and this or uphold this, that, this, that and that, well, I'll be clean on the outside and therefore will have right relationship with God. Let me help you out. Living in the Bible Belt, this is Christianity 101 that so many of us and so many have you of you have experienced. If I do this, then I have relationship with God. We want to make the issue something on the outside, but Jesus is making it very clear in this moment. The issue is something on the inside. Verse 14, we finish our story with Jesus. He says that, excuse me, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everybody, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he left the crowd and he entered the house, his disciples asked him this parable. They said, are you, they asked him about this parable. Jesus says, are you so dull? You got to love Jesus. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach. He's literally talking about food here and then out of the body. Like you go to the bathroom and it's out. And in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. But he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. Have you ever experienced or done or participated in any of that kind of stuff? Of course you have. You don't even need to raise your hand. And the reason that is the case is because our hearts are broken. We have what's called a sinful nature. It's not just what you've got going on on the outside. It's what's coming out from the inside. And so here's what we try to do. In order to fashion relationship with God and to make things right, because we know something is wrong, we do our best to build systems and rules and traditions that will ensure obedience and relationship with God. Let's take this all the way back to the garden. Everybody with me for a second. Genesis 2 and 3. What does God say to Adam and Eve regarding the tree? Does anybody remember? There's a tree and he has specific instructions regarding that tree. You can shout it out. Do not eat. Is that right? Ooh, ooh. Now, now the pressure's on, right? Did I get it wrong? Is that correct? Is that what the Bible says? 
It is, in fact, what the Bible says. Ding, 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 nicely done. God looks at Adam and Eve and says, listen to me. I'm giving you free will in this moment, but you are not to touch. Excuse me. You are not to eat from the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And yet here's what's interesting that happens. It doesn't take long. Because the serpent comes and the serpent begins to whisper in the ear of Eve. And Adam is standing right there. And he begins to ask them about what God said. And you know what Adam and Eve relay to the serpent in this moment? They don't repeat back to the serpent what God actually commanded them. They don't repeat back, hey, that I'm not supposed to, to eat from it. They say, I'm not supposed to touch it. God never said that they couldn't touch the tree. He actually never said that they couldn't touch the fruit. He simply said that you cannot eat from this fruit. But because there is a propensity inside of our hearts towards sin and rebellion and disobedience, Adam and Eve established their own set of rules in this moment in order to prevent and keep them from transgressing God's law. We are seeing the seeds of religion, not good religion, but bad religion, already at work in the Garden of Eden. And we do the same thing still today in order to try and ensure obedience. Because if I can just obey properly, well, then I'll have proper relationship with God. In obedience, I'm not saying don't obey God. I am telling you, obey him. But obey him out of a heart that has been engaged in relationship with him. We do not obey him in order to get relationship with him. There is a massive, massive difference. And so the Pharisees in this moment have this purity law. And it comes all the way from Exodus chapter 30. In the same way that Adam and Eve, they desired in, in some place in their heart, they were trying to prevent themselves from disobeying God. And in Exodus chapter 30, we see, we see these purity laws regarding you cleaning your hands and washing your hands as a priest. This is specific to priests. Before you engage in temple worship or worship of God or of any kind, you're a priest. And because you're a priest, you're supposed to wash your hands and wash your hands like this. And the priests thought to themselves, you know what? God has called us to be holy. Be holy because I am holy. This is the command we see running through the Old Testament. So you know what? He's given this to command to the priests, but we want all of Israel to be holy. So you know what we should do? Let's legislate this and make it tradition and make it kind of the rule of the day because if we can get everybody to wash their hands properly, well then we will at least know that they're doing the right things in order to worship God and have relationship with Him. And what starts out with great intent and good motive. I want to obey God. I want proper relationship with him. It doesn't take long for this thing to become corrupt. And this is how religion works. Tradition starts with sincere motives. And what begins as a way to help you love God becomes the thing that replaces God. And then it doesn't take but a hot minute before we love the tradition more than we actually 
love God. In my house growing up, I grew up in St. Louis. We did not watch R-rated movies in my home. I actually, the first R-rated movie that I ever saw was the movie True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Fun fact for you. If you ever have trivia on Pastor Andy, now you know. It's a random fun fact. But in my home, my parents decided, look, there's a lot of trash out there. And I think we can all agree that that's true, right? There's a lot of smut uh, that exists. And so they, they looked at each other and said, you know what? We're going to ask our kids to not watch R-rated movies. And because we're asking them to not watch R-rated movies, we won't watch R-rated movies either. And so we will be a home that really strives to spend time together, have joy and laughter, and really experience godly things together, right? It was it was. It was a good culture established in my house. And so I didn't experience or, you know, a lot of things on TV that a lot of other friends did. I just didn't watch it. I didn't, wasn't missing anything. I didn't care. And then I started dating a girl in, in, in the latter years of high school. I remember sitting her, in her driveway. I was in my car. And she was telling me about movies that they were watching as a family. And they were R-rated movies. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. You've, your family sees that? Your family watches that? Wait, 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 wait. You're telling me you watch that together as a family? What is wrong with you, you pagan Philistines? You think I'm kidding? I had her and her whole family about one step removed from the gate of hell because... They had violated a rule and tradition that our family had created with great intent and great motive to simply foster a healthy environment in our home as it pertains to relationship with God. This is what we had decided to do. Wasn't for everybody, right? It was some of it was personal preference, but I had taken that thing and I had elevated it. I was 16, 17 years old at the time, and I had elevated it beyond what it was actually designed to be. And I now used it as a measuring rod and a tool of judgment for anybody else that looked or acted or treated things differently. It was the washing of the hands. What on earth is wrong with your disciples? Why aren't they washing their hands? Well, that command, first of all, was never designed for them. It was never made for them. You took it and you took it where it was never designed to go. And then you fell in love with that thing more than you fell in love with Jesus, more than you did the presence of God. You love the thing more than you love God. It's not what's wrong with me. It's what's wrong with you. Your heart is broken. This is where evil actually resides. This is the horror of the heart. Imagine somebody coming in to our church here. And just being blinded with anger during the three or four times of prayer that we have had together. Some of you pray with your eyes shut and some of you pray with your eyes open. And imagine somebody coming 
and being like this, Pastor Andy, what the heck is wrong with you? That you allow people to pray with their eyes open. What is wrong with you? What kind of teacher are you? What kind of holy man are you? Now, why do people pray with their eyes shut? How did that even become a thing? Anybody know? People pray with their eyes shut primarily because it helps them to not be distracted when they're praying. The flip side is you may fall asleep when you pray. Some of you do. But there's nothing holy or righteous about you praying with your eyes open or your eyes shut. And yet it's one of those things, right? Or it could have become one of those things that we elevate beyond where it's supposed to ever be. In the same way, whether it's R-rated movies or whether it's something wonderful, even like church attendance. Listen, I want you to come to church and I don't want you to miss. I don't. I love being in community with you. But you simply showing up and sitting in a chair or standing or knowing when to raise your hands, that does not establish whether you have right relationship with God or not. It simply doesn't. It doesn't. Do you love the thing? Or do you love Jesus? Evil comes from the inside. And I know it's hard to make this jump because we're talking about motives and people who are like, these seem like pretty good people and they are pretty good people. You need to know when you read the Bible, the Pharisees, we give them a bad rap. They're good people. Oftentimes desiring relationship with God. But the horror of the heart in this moment is that by elevating tradition and rule beyond where it's supposed to be, we make a mockery of the cross. Because Jesus has made this gift free, and it's not by anything you do, it's by what you receive. By faith, I bring nothing to this equation except faith and trust in you, Jesus, that what you did on the cross is enough. But what we see in the scriptures so many times is that people are around Jesus, but they don't really know him. We see people who are around his presence, but they're never really changed. We see people, maybe people sitting right here right now, who are around all of this. They grew up going to church. I grew up going to church. This was my story. And yet I never truly grasped the life-changing, heart-transforming grace of God. It was always about something I needed to do. And I'm telling you here today, it makes a mockery of what Jesus did. 
It is a true horror because we think we have encountered relationship with God, yet we walk away frustrated because we're still unchanged. And the reason we're unchanged is because we're not receiving his grace freely. We're trying to earn it, and you simply can't do it. The gospel is this. It is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived. And he died the death we should have died in our place. And three days later, he rose again from the dead, proving that he is the son of God. And offering the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins to everyone who repents and believes in him. Lord, I turn to you. My faith is in you. My trust is in you. Everything else comes and flows from a heart that has been changed by you. Everything. Everything. I want you to just take a moment this morning and I want you to examine your own heart. David talks about inviting God to examine his heart and he also examines it himself. And I want you to take a moment and take a minute of silence and literally ask God if there's anything in your heart well-intentioned might I add that's come before him what has become the very thing the, the ceremonial washing in your heart that you've put above Christ freely receiving who he is and what he's done for you no strings Attached. What is coming between you and God? It might be something that actually sounds good and sounds wonderful, but you've taken it beyond where it was supposed to be. What's coming between the two of you? Is there sin in your heart you need to give to God where you've wandered, where you've run, where you've been hiding? Ask God in this moment to examine your heart. Jesus, in this moment with the Pharisees, offers no cure for the heart. 
Not in this moment. But we are in this moment because we're on the other side of the cross. And I am pointing you to Jesus. I am directing you to Jesus. Give him everything. Let nothing come before him. Let nothing come before your love for him. Not your children, not your family, not your job, not your money, not even your academics, not your, not your career, not the relationship. Nothing comes before Christ. He is the exalted one. Jesus, this morning, we give you everything. We give you everything.